having that ability to connect with people on a trusting and sort of like candid level allows you to get a pulse on that team and organization so that you understand like what they need, what problems they're facing, what challenges they're facing, what opportunities might be available. That to me starts to tell you what does design ops need to be for that team, that organization. And finding your North Star through identifying those problems. I mean, it's no different than design itself, right? Like you're identifying the pain points. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ops of Design, a podcast where we talk about design ops and everything related to it. In today's episode, we dive a little bit deeper about what is design ops. We share our thoughts, our perspectives, and what we've learned along the way. So stick around, relax, and hopefully you can find something useful here. I know we've talked a bit about um, the perspective of designers. I think probably the main target audience but i also Mm -hmm. think that this could be something that could be considered by design managers could be uh design leads it could be into cross-functional designers who happen to you know like uh, ui uxers kind of people yeah Um, could even go as far as into hey i'm on the engineering side um and hearing a lot about design ops like what is it why why would i care that might be some topic that we think about later on down the road is like that sort of cross-functional relationship because that's been one of the things that's been um i've been thinking a lot about this past year is you know we focus a lot on where we are in-house you know what are we doing inside design our four walls of design how do things impact design uh, how do we improve the lives of designers? But to me, I think that sort of next stage of evolution in design ops is like, how do we become better partners? Mm-hmm. And when you say so, partners, do you mean like in an organization where there's multiple business units or multiple teams, partners with engineering um, management or just... I'm, just yeah, like... no, I'm actually thinking more of kind of like the EPD model. So your your engineers, your... your um, product managers, those types of folks. Okay. Um, I think it could, I think it could go beyond that too. You know, you're talking about like marketing and uh, support and sales. Um, that might be something that this evolves into as well. But my, my first sort of layer of like focus was more about like, how do we work better with engineers and like product managers and stuff? Right. Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. So, you know, if they're trying to understand like what design ops is, being able to have, you know, some content that speaks to them in such a way where it's like, this is what we're doing and this is why we're doing it and why we're doing it is there's a, a lot of influence in like how we work together collectively, you know, mm-hmm. how we collaborate more effectively. Which is critical, right? And and improving upon that is going to be beneficial to everyone in the long run. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a reason why a lot of people work in lean fashion. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 
it generally makes people happier. It reduces stress, it reduces rework, it reduces issues, it reduces cognitive load. <laughs> right, yep. And the only way to get to that point is if everybody's like working together really well. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's where design ops has a really um, strategic advantage, honestly. Because we understand like, you know, how it is that that sort of model happens. Mm -hmm. And we can work with a team that might be like, hey, we don't know how to work with our engineers really well. Cool. Well, here's some best practices. Um, here's some guidance. Here's some activities that you can do. Here's some mindsets that you can share. You know, here's some expectations that you can set. Those sorts of things. All beneficial, by the way. Yeah. I guess, what do I think design ops is? Um, there's a lot of say growth and discovery in this space over the past few years mm -hmm. um you know say three four years ago when the seeds of it started to kind of show up within the design industry folks like dave maloof and uh you know kristen skinner and stuff along those lines were talking to the benefits of what was happening in design operations mm -hmm. and why it was that folks really need to start thinking about it. And to me, what's happened over the years is there's been a lot of people that say like, design ops is this, design ops is that, design ops isn't this, design ops isn't that. So, um, you know, take my definition <laughs> with a grain of salt, but I think what's happening is over the next year to two years, some of that's going to stabilize kind of like what design was, you know, 10, 15 years ago, people were like, well, what is design? And it's like, I think a lot of that dust has settled. You know, people are kind of understanding, like when you say we're doing design, they're like, okay, cool. Got it. There's not as much like confusion as there is, I think still yeah. with design ops. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess... like UX first came out, right? People weren't sure yeah. exactly what the heck that was. <laughs> So now it's kind of ubiquitous, right? Everyone, everyone yeah. knows what that means. For me, design ops is a lot of things. Like design system definitely falls under the umbrella of design ops. Like it's intended to improve the you know day to day sort of workflow of designer, keep them designing more, and keep them from having to think about things that have already been decided. So um, design system falls under that things like we were talking about um like hiring practices like it's, it's very easy to sit down and just say hey when we're looking to hire somebody here's the thing that goes out when we actually decide to do some interviews here's the series of interviews that we do here's the type of people that are going to be interviewing you know so you start to kind of build out just some of the infrastructure that kind of helps answer some of those questions um I've experienced <laughs> firsthand many times coming in as an interviewer and being like, um, okay, well, I was asked to interview. I don't know what to interview. Like, am I supposed to be asking questions about culture? Am I talking about like what their hard skills are? Should I be focusing on like a portfolio review? Um, should I just be looking for a combination of all of these things? Like none of that's been, you know, outlined and it's incredibly frustrating. And then all of a sudden, like after the interview, it's like, well, should I provide my feedback to 
you, the interviewing manager? Do I put it in this tool? Do I do both? Are we going to have like a retrospective where we all talk about what it is that's going on? So to me, like that's all design ops is, is having all that stuff figured out and saying, yeah. oh, this is the way that we do hiring. Yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, I can I can remember a number of occasions where I, you get this random ask, hey, can you jump on this interview? And I'm like, um, what do you want me to ask them? You know, I mean, I'm not prepared. I don't have any questions written down. It's like, yeah. If you you're asking you're inviting me and you want you want my my valued opinion, well, I need some format or some some guidance, some guidance yeah, to, to to ask the right questions and make sure I understand what I'm probing. Yeah. So, yeah, it it there's um, I think when I started kind of getting going, for me, what it was really about, and I and I think I don't know if it's. I don't know if it's necessary to have this as a trait within a design ops person, but I tend to look at myself as like a connector. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I work in an organization where I get to know everybody. Yeah. Um, everybody knows who I am. I know who they are. Um, you know, it may be on a simple like water cooler level. It may be on a more, you know, uh, on a you know deeper like sort of friendship level. Uh, it really just depends. Mm -hmm. But a big part of that and why I think it's important is that when you're within an organization, whether it's, you know, 10 or 15 people or, you know, close to 300 or even more than that, being able to understand people on a person to person level, you're able to, you've, you've, you've built trust. Mm -hmm. And from that trust, you're able to have candid conversations about the actual state of things. Mm -hmm. Are they stressed? Are they happy? Are they frustrated because something doesn't work? Are they trying to build a solution on something where they're running into a problem? To me, that sort of connector thing has been really valuable for me because I'm able to reach out to a person and very quickly have a very uh, quick, candid conversation about any number of topics that are related to operations. and. Over time, you know, I think those folks have really understood that, you know, my motivation is genuine. It's 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 there to improve their lives. So all, all of where I'm going with this is that having that ability to connect with people on a trusting and sort of like candid level allows you to get a pulse on that team and organization so that you understand like what they need, what problems they're facing, what challenges they're facing, what opportunities might be available. That to me starts to tell you what does design ops need to be for that team, that organization. Finding your North Star through identifying those problems. I mean, it's no different than design itself, right? Like you're identifying the pain points. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that was... I'm glad. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say that um, I noticed when you first transitioned to design ops and some of the exercise you were, you were doing, I was like, well, this is research. Like, it's almost like he's designing a product. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. I was just going to mention the same thing. Um, when I was starting to kind of take on that role, uh, I, I, I guess being in the product space, for so long, you get used to kind of a design process. And it's just like, well, design process is essentially a scientific method with a fancy name. <laughs> it's it's understanding 
you know, what your problem is, you know, intimately figuring out what its possible solutions are, test those potential solutions or what the main solution might be, learn from that, improve the solution, and then come to the end of it with saying like, hey, here's what we think that solution is. That's the design process, scientific method, whatever you want to call it. But yeah, um, yeah that's what I started using for uh, everything I was doing design ops. I was like, well, it's second nature for me to kind of do this. And it wasn't until I was doing, I had been doing it for like a year that I had epiphany realizing, I was like, oh, wait, I am just <laughs> doing the design process for everything I'm doing right now. And then I was able to kind of like document it out and be like, someone was like, well, how do you do this? I'm like, that's the design process. <laughs> Come on, everybody knows it. You don't know this? <laughs> I, I didn't even know that I knew this. Yeah. So because I'm OCD, I looked up the scientific method. Yeah. So step one, question. Step two, research. Step three, hypothesis. Step four, experiment. Step five, observations. Step six, conclusion. Step seven, communicate, yeah. and then repeat. <laughs> yeah. So, and there's, and there's, um, I'm not sure if it shows it, but there's intended sort of like iteration loops that are built into that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so solving problems, once I realized how I was solving them kind of intuitively, I was like, oh, yeah, hey, I just need to go through and do this. Like, I started to mm -hmm. build a process around solving problems within design ops. So it was like, oh, here's a process. Um, I think there's there's some, I don't know. There, <laughs> I talk to some folks sometimes and they're like, oh, great, more process. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I know this is definitely a, a topic that exists within design ops circles and different colleagues and even you know talked about at conferences and stuff. Um, and a lot of folks have become much more aware of process for the sake of process. Um, mm -hmm. gosh, that's a, a word way too many times. I'm going to be having nightmares about it. <laughs> um, but you know, myself, it's like realizing that sometimes there does need to be some process, Of course, but it's yes. also trying to figure out like how much is necessary to get things done without it being so right. restricting that people like reject it. Exactly. Um, you know, similar to like what we do in design in general, which is like, okay, here's what I think this is. Okay, now can I remove things and this still doesn't break? That's mm. that's ten that tends to be the way that I look at it, same way like on the process side or whatever we're doing design ops. It's like, okay, hey, here was my crazy wacky idea that I threw against the digital whiteboard. And it's got all of these moving pieces. Oh, okay. Well, let me, if I remove this, is it going to break? No. If I remove that, yeah, people won't know what the hell's going on. Or, <laughs> you know, you start figuring out like where you can trim some stuff off to where you get down to the kind of the essentials. And I kind of look at that mm -hmm. with process too. It's like, okay, you know, our design process has been articulated and has all these like 26 moving pieces and it has all of these mm -hmm. different branches and layers and different filters and you're like, oh my gosh, this is really complex. And it's like, well, do we really need all of this information here? You know, who's the audience mm. of this? Typically designers. What information do they need? Oh, they only need these like five or six things answered. Okay, well, let's remove, can we remove this? Can we remove this? Can we remove this? Okay, cool. Now we've boiled it down to its essentials. So, yeah. Yeah. 
um, I mean, I, I, I think I'm, I've gotten to the point where I, I'm of the frame of mind that no organization, no matter how big or small, first of all, their process is not ideal. It's not exactly how they want it to be. They're still trying to figure out how to improve their process. Yep. Even if they're Apple, right? I'm pretty sure there's a lot of processes that they have that that either aren't sufficient or, like you said, a lot of people feel like, oh, gosh, I have to do this part of the step two. Mm-hmm. Um, so process, process is like never ending. <laughs> it's always being evolved and iterated and improved upon. Yeah. But the, I do not share the sentiment where too many people feel that process is a bad word. Yeah. Like, like oh, you need to document that. Oh, gosh, I hate that. Or why do we need to do that? But like you pointed out, like you need to look at your process from a high level, identify what's working, what's not working, take out what's not working, and possibly introduce something new that might might either remove more or just make things so much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somebody shared this kind of quotes or concept with me recently, and it really stuck. Uh, and they said that process is the scar tissue of mistakes. <laughs> interesting that's so true <laughs> it is like i heard that and i was like i just grinned from ear to ear i was like yep i look at processes like oh hey i've got this thing you know step one step two step three and it's like well those steps weren't there because i ran face first into something <laughs> and i don't want to do that again so i have a process yeah. to help me avoid from running face first into that thing and help other people from running face first into that thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah and helping a company of 300 designers don't repeat these same mistakes. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm with you. Like, you know, I'm, I believe that process has its place. It's, it's, it's a necessity, um, but it doesn't necessarily need to be everywhere and really mm-hmm. complex. Right. Yeah, definitely. Too much process. It's it's a real balancing act. You're kind of walking a tightrope here because obviously too much process just makes you uh, not even want to do certain things. I mean, I, I, I feel in some some sense that too much process almost kind of has the same emotional toll on me as if I had a micromanager, mm-hmm. right? like someone who's always looking over and making, making, me sure, making sure I'm doing everything the way they perceive it to be done. And, you know, process can, can feel the same way sometimes. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it that way, but that's a good point. Yeah, for sure. I I tend to look at the analogy of, like, process and things lately through um, comparing it to, like, guardrails and um, mm. uh, railroad tracks. Mm-hmm. So it's like... To me, I'm always asking myself, you know, is is this process or are these guidelines or guardrails? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it, it's, yeah. I try to think about like how much guidance people actually need. Like, do they need things down to the letter? Follow this step one, step two, step three. You know, that's on the railroad. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's more a matter of like, hey, creative flexibility but make sure you stay within this little, you know, these guardrails to keep you on track so that we're all kind of moving in the same direction. Um, that's, that's tend to where it's like, is this guardrails or is this a railroad track? 
<laughs> yeah, I, I like that analogy. And if I was to kind of give an example, I would say things like the component libraries in Figma are guardrails. Yeah. You can do whatever you want in Figma, but you have these components that are there. They represent our true product, so you probably should use these. Yeah. And uh, the railroad is like documentation. Like you need to create a document in Confluence. You need to create a document for Jira. Mm -hmm. That's our standard. That's how everyone stays on the same page. We don't really want you downloading a new app and trying something new. Yeah. Yeah. Doing all of your issue tracking for a product in mm -hmm. something that doesn't happen to be your main issue tracker, that's probably going to put you in some hot water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. On so many levels, right? <laughs> So design ops is process, it's tooling, it's uh, relationship building. It's, what else did you mention early on? Uh, I talked about governance. I talked governance. about, yeah, governance is somewhat the, the more the railroad, sometimes the guardrails. It's kind of like, mm -hmm. this is the way we do things, sort of checks and balances. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we talk about things in like, research operations about like PII, personally identifiable yes. information, you know, mm -hmm. making sure that we're following, you know, best practices, GDPR, uh, making sure that we follow rules and regulations that exist. Like mm -hmm. to me, that's like governance, making sure that people are not getting us in trouble. Like to me, that's more like, that's railroad track. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, um, definitely. But one of the things that you, you touched on, and this is where I think some of the you find some of the camp of some folks in design ops defining it one way and some defining it another way. You touched on it, which was like the people side, the, mm -hmm. the, the culture side. Um, yeah. Some people are just like, oh, design ops should be, you know, tools and process, tools and process, tools and process. Um, and that's okay. You know, maybe that's what the organization needs. Maybe other people are handling the part of things where, you know, you're talking about culture. Um, and by culture, I mean, like, how are we staying connected? How are we working together? How are we, um, you know, benefiting each other or improving each other's lives of the people around us? Um, I think for me, um, onboarding was kind of like one of these, like very early programs that I was pushing really hard for. And when you say onboarding, you're referring to like onboarding a, a, someone to a team or? Yeah, yeah, like new yeah. hire onboarding. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, most companies have an onboarding experience. Um, what mm -hmm. you find is designers, as we are, you know, self-proclaimed special little snowflakes, um, sometimes we have <laughs> different needs when we're getting onboarding beyond what the company does. The company may be very high level, like, hey, here's our mission, here's our vision, yeah. here's what our objectives are for the quarter go for it and it's like well as a designer like i can align to some of that stuff but i need more information on like you know how do i get you know product knowledge how do i understand my personas how do i you know how do we research what is it what is our design process to me yeah. like that's all really helpful information to making sure that 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 the designer gets off started off on the right foot and is able to feel like they're contributing in a, in a quicker fashion yeah. And I mean, just getting down to breast tacks, right? I mean, why wouldn't you as an organization or a company want to have these things in place so the people you're hiring can start delivering much quicker? You know, start making you money at the end of the day. You want them to get up to speed quickly. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
and I think there's the other side of the coin too, which is somebody that's new, you know, they made a commitment to leave wherever they were before generally. Mm -hmm. And that may have mm -hmm. been just like, Hey, I'm leaving school and I'm going to my first job. Or it may have been, yeah. I'm leaving this other job to go to this one. Mm -hmm. um, they left something with the hope that where they were going was going to be better. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a huge responsibility for us in those first, you know, days to weeks to months to help, you know, actualize that. So, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes there's a lot of hype about, oh, I'm going to go to this like really cool, super hip company and stuff. And, you know, I met some people, the interview process was great. And, you know, um, the recruiter really sold it up and you really don't know until you get there. Yeah. You know, that first, <laughs> exactly. that first day is a really strong representation of like, what's the next two days or three days or a week going to yeah. be like, what are the first two weeks going to be like? So it all kinds of starts to unravel. So it's kind of like that opportunity to set our best, you know, foot forward uh, first on that, on that day and then through those, uh, coming days. And to me, that person coming in is hoping for, you know, something more exciting, more engaging, you know, work with a design team that has an interesting design culture, has something that's going to help them grow. Maybe it's a compelling product or marketplace that, you know, maybe, uh, is more humanitarian, whatever the case may be as they have their motivations as an individual. And we have an opportunity to help meet those in such a way that they feel comfortable and that they feel engaged. And mm. more importantly than anything, like they want to contribute themselves. I've talked mm. to a number of new hires. I mean, you know, I, I meet with practically every new hire soon after they start just to kind of understand their onboarding experience. And really, mm. like, I'd say if I had to, half of them have talked about yeah, I want to know when I can start contributing. Mm -hmm. You know, I was hired to do good work and be a great designer and, you know, make some impact. And I want to start doing that. When can I do that? Yep. Um, so it's, it makes sense for the business. It makes sense for the individual. Yep. hundred percent agree. It's funny you mentioned that because thinking, looking back and when I first joined the team, or, you know, thinking back when I joined anywhere, like you have this sense that you want to contribute. I mean, ultimately, as designers, we're creators. Um, and especially me lately, I just have this burning desire to create things. Yeah. And it's magnified when you're working, right? Because you're justifying your worth and justifying why they chose you. So you want to be able to prove yourself right away. And getting up to speed quicker is going to allow you to do that. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that's kind of on the people side or the culture side of design ops. Mm -hmm. This is, mm -hmm. you know, sometimes people think of it, a lot of times teams don't. They're just like, oh, our, our company has an onboarding. And it's like, yeah, they got that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, that's their responsibility. It's like, well, you have an opportunity to continue shape and mold that. I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen people, you know, post photos on social media about their design welcome pack. You know, it's like, oh, I got yeah. a T-shirt and I got all this cool swag and, you know, my desk was already set up like that generally. And I would say like uh, there are some companies where that's just like that's table stakes and they do that for every single person. But mm -hmm. I, I feel like and maybe I'm going on a limb saying this, but I feel like that came from a design culture. It wasn't an engineering mm -hmm. thing. 
<laughs> yeah, I, w- I would probably agree with that. <laughs> I don't see too many engineers like, hey, let's give a nice little T-shirt and uh... <laughs> here's their coding book. And um, yeah, yeah, I, no. I don't want to bag on engineers. I, I was an engineer Neither for a number of years too. So <laughs> I just have that stereotypical engineer in my head who's an a-hole. No one likes. They're not all like that. Everybody don't don't assume we think that. No, there's some I, great engineers out there. I think there's a lot of great engineers, but I think that <laughs> concept of uh, empathy and experience yep. came from design. So, well, yeah. If if you don't have empathy or you can't kind of process what empathy is, or you you don't understand how to practice it, uh, I'm willing to go on a limb and say you you would have a hard time being a design a product designer. Yeah, designer, UX designer, any designer. Yeah, I think you you yeah. need to kind of understand your audience and like what would make that experience compelling for them. You yeah. know, speaking. And if not, to... you're an artist. <laughs> I don't care about what anybody thinks. Exactly. This entire canvas is going to be blue with a pink dot on it. Um, now I'm like lambasting uh, artists. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> um, I think you know to continue on the the track of like culture. Um, one of the things that we've seen with COVID, um, mm. and and I I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm going to bear my heart a little bit here on this one. Uh-oh. Um, you know, ready, everybody. I know. There's, there's a, I genuinely care about the people that I work with. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I genuinely care about how their, their day is, how their working relationship with their other design peers are, how their working relationship with their product team is. Like, I genuinely care. Mm-hmm. Um, when COVID, um, came on and a lot of us were um, forced to work from home. That was a huge shift for people. And to me, the effects of that shift had implications of like, oh, uh, we are social creatures. I no longer have the opportunity to connect person to person in faith with the people that I work with. You know, there, the opportunity for um, like water cooler situations or serendipitous sort of connections with somebody. You happen to be walking by in the hallway and you're like, oh, I just had this thought in my head. Let's talk about it. Let's review this thing. Here's this idea that's going to kind of spin off in this other direction. Or just the opportunity to be like, ah, I need to relax and sit outside and just kind of vent with some of the people on my team. Gosh, I can't believe that planning meeting went sideways the way that it did. Mm-hmm. You know? All of yeah. that's all of that's gone, mm-hmm. and I I quickly started finding out through you know the network of people within our organization that people were struggling with feeling disconnected, and not disconnected like oh I'm disconnected from my work. It was like I feel disconnected from like humanity. I feel disconnected from the people that mm-hmm. I work with. Like these relationships have been severed. You know, yeah, I see this person in Zoom once in a while or I talk to them on Slack once in a while, but all of a sudden, like everything that we were doing seems so impersonal. Now, I've been working remotely for a number of years, so like I think I have already acclimated to it. Like I've Mm -hmm. gotten used to the things that I need to do to kind of help fill those needs. But for a lot of people that were working in the office day in, day out, they were just kind of shoved into this real quick. So for like several months, people were just like, how do we stay connected? To me, I've had numerous conversations with people in the ZinoX community, like other colleagues, and through different channels and forums and stuff about like how people are keeping their teams feeling connected. 
people coming up with like really creative solutions, sometimes very low tech sort of situations. Like, um, you know, uh, like here's an example of one. So um, I think I was talking to somebody over at Envision about this because, you know, they've been working remotely for so long and I was trying to pick their brain. You know, how do they create a remote culture where people still feel connected? And, you know, one of the things that they were kind of talking about was, um, you know, we, in, we were intentional about experiences. So let's say, for instance, the onboarding situation. We intentionally, we know that it's going to be a remote onboarding. So we develop um, sort of ceremonies to make sure that, that person feels like we're, we're thinking about them, you know, we're, we're, um, we care about them, we care about their journey, we care about their experience, you know, so we have these different ceremonies kind of mixed into that onboarding experience. It's 100% remote, but these people feel like they're a part of something. Um, another thing that we talked about too was um, a lot of times, you know, if we're in a, a half hour meeting, we'll spend the first two, three minutes like catching up. Mm -hmm. Water cooler, just like, hey, you and I did that on this call. It's like, how's the family doing? You know, how's work? How's personal life? You know, what are the things that are kind of going on? I think we, you know, maybe we spent like five minutes doing that. And yeah, I have been doing that lately with people, you know, in these situations. And to me, it's like, it's a um, low cost, somewhat, you know, intangible sort of yield situation, but it's operational. It's like you go through and you change the culture of the way that we're doing things to improve the lives of people that we're working with. Uh, mm -hmm. Like one of the other things that we did too was um, asking people to stop their meetings at the 25 and 55. Mm -hmm. Give people five minutes between meetings. You know, most of us are in back-to-back -back meetings. So you're going from one meeting to the mm -hmm. next. You don't have the opportunity. I mean, we didn't even have the opportunity like pre-COVID too. I mean, this was a problem that was... I had identified long before that, but this is a cultural thing where it's like, hey, we have the ability to kind of shift the culture, the way that we do things so that it improves people's lives. Mm -hmm. You know, giving people five minutes between meetings, I can go, you know, bio break, get some water, get a snack, you know, take a deep breath, <laughs> meditate for two or three minutes, yep. scream into a pillow, whatever it is that I need. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, these are things that kind of circle back into like what design ops and culture, like the impact on culture means. Yeah, I like the way you, you, you framed it. Um, and again, I, I think even from my perspective, when I first started to realize what design ops, it does always come back to people, yeah. whether people collectively or the individual. And for my own selfish reasons, design ops was a way for me. And we've talked about it numerous times, right? Design ops was a way for me to get design work done quicker so I can get back to doing the things I really truly want to do. Uh, but even keeping it in a career mindset is like, I want to spend less time doing the mundane stuff so I can get more time to do the important stuff. And kind of everything totally. we've talked about kind of chips away at, at the, at the, at the mundane stuff and it makes you spend less time having to do it. Yeah. And no, I completely agree. When you say design ops, I, I just assume, most people think tactically, right? Like, oh, what tool? Oh, okay, like a, a style guide, a design system. 
and then maybe that's it. That's all the extent of what yep. their design ops knowledge is. But when they talk to someone like you or even research it, they start to see how much more is involved in it. Yeah. And, and that's what I was saying. It's like there's some people that believe that it is like tools and process. And I'm not saying that they're wrong. I'm not saying mm -hmm. that I'm necessarily right either. It's just my perspective. I think that it's more holistic. Yeah, it's all yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah, it is all of it. Yeah. Um, you know, this is. I remember when I first started talking to Dave years ago about this. And he's like, yeah, you'll find these two camps. He's like, which camp do you think you <laughs> fall in? I was like, I don't really know yet, but it feels like the camp where it's holistic, you know, because to me, it, it, it starts to become really difficult to being like, oh, you know, this thing where I was just talking about, you know, changing the culture of like how we meet. Oh, that's not design ops. We draw the mm. line there. Like, <laughs> really? <laughs> do we want to draw the line there? That's pretty cocky to, to, to say something like that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, you know, people come from their different perspectives. And no, their needs I'm not and saying you. Oh, I'm no, no. Saying you're cocky. No, well, we all know that. But that's a different story. <laughs> no, what I'm saying is like, even of the people that are like, oh, well, we shouldn't be doing that. It's like, well, you know, I guess that's their perspective. I'll, I'll go toe to toe with them and argue. But <laughs> like your, your opinion, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, awesome, man. Like like I said, I think I come much more from a tactical tooling perspective. And to me, that's not the most interesting. Obviously, we can touch on it more in future episodes, but I think the the more kind of psychological and more people-oriented um, practices and, and, and tools that you can leverage from design ops mm -hmm. are the most important. And what I've seen, we've gotten the most value out of. Yeah. I I. I think you summarized it really well in, in your own words, like for you design ops, even if it's been from a selfish perspective, there's nothing wrong with that. Like for you, it was about freeing you up to do the better work or the more important work that you wanted to do. Mm -hmm. yep. I mean, that's, that's to me, that's reducing friction mm -hmm. so that you can be more engaged. And deliver high quality solutions. Yes. <laughs> awesome. this, this is great, man. I mean, I literally think people can play this for their managers or whoever and say, look, if you want to understand what we can get out of design ops, listen to these two guys ramble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll sum it up pretty well for them. Awesome. Do you feel like there is anything else that, that we kind of didn't touch on or at a high level identify? Um, we talked about what it is, and I think the why is honestly threaded through it. I think the why, yeah, and value too. We we sprinkle some value in there. Yeah, I mean, we we could get down to like business value and like individual contributor value and like manager value. You know, that might be something to dive a little deeper in at another time. But I think mm -hmm. there there's a lot of meat there as to the value of why you want to think about this or why you want to start to you know proselytize it or if you've been having like existential questions about life and what you're doing maybe you can find validation <laughs> some validation yeah <laughs> am i doing this for the right reasons what should i be doing exactly am i doing it right well, i'm pretty sure everyone's doing it wonderfully well, all right, man. I appreciate it. Thanks again. This has been awesome as usual. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm, I'm, I always enjoy doing these. These are something I look forward to doing and doing many 
uh, I'm, I'm excited to be able to kind of like flip the script and be able to you know get some interview style sort of situations going on and see like how we jive on that too yeah heck yeah that's gonna be fun so hopefully we can start ramping things up and getting this out into people's ear holes cool thanks all right buddy i'll talk to you soon peace and there you have it that concludes today's episode we hope we shared some valuable information with you if you have any questions or comments feel free to reach out to us on instagram you can find us at the ops of design keep an eye out for future episodes where we'll touch on a variety of topics related to design ops until next time take care